What's going on, everyone? This is the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. And as usual, this is your host, Alex Harris. Just want to give you a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about today. So we have to go over this Fred Van Vliet uh, rumors that is coming out. Looks like the Knicks are going to be in hot pursuit of the combo guard. Then we're going to discuss the draft, the lottery. We got the eighth pick. And we got a wonderful guest today who's going to help us dive deep into our future prospects. And then we're going to go into our et cetera, which is, John, what do we got for et cetera today? What's up, Alex? For et cetera today, we're going to be talking about the NBA bubble and the protests and what we think about the future of the NBA. Sounds great, John. All right, Ricey, no funny business this time. going on everyone this is Alex Terrace here with the Knicks Jets etc podcast and with me as usual is my co-host John Malika John how are you doing today I'm good man what's up Alex it was, I was, we should have been deep into the NBA bubble games right now but we'll get into more of that to etc about the protests but how are you doing I'm doing pretty good nice uh it was a nice cool day I was able to enjoy it here in Boston uh how about yourself Oh, man, I haven't seen outside. I've just been working. So if you say it's nice, I believe you. (laughs) It is nice. But today for our podcast, this is going to be the first time, the inaugural podcast with a guest. We've got a great and talented writer and podcaster with us today, Jeffrey Campbell from Daily Knicks, part of Fansided. He's also the co-host of Hoops Addict Anonymous. And he's also just joined the Playgrounder. Jeff, how are you doing today? Very good, man. Uh, thank you guys so much for the intro. Uh, when, you, when we were talking a little offline, I was super pumped to be the first guest on this podcast. Fans of both you guys. I know Alex for, you know, probably clo- close to a year now. John, I'm just meeting today. But both you guys put out dope content. I uh, was, was telling you guys how much I like the pod before. So just happy to be on. We're happy to have you on, Jeff. And it's a great time. We know that you're really uh, tuned into the lottery and prospects, been following your, your writing over at ESNY. Sorry about the stutter. Uh, and I know you're going to be taking that to the playgrounder now. But before we hop into any uh, conversation about draft prospects and so forth, uh, let's get into this Fred Van Vliet talk. And now, Jeff, uh, you weren't here for this last week, but my – Wonderful co-host here has a vendetta against Fred Van Vliet. So, (laughs) that Shams is saying that the Knicks are going to be hot pursuit of Fred Van Vliet. I'm a big fan of Wichita State, Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker, and the boys. So don't let don't let Alex twist anything up here. (laughs) (laughs) And my boy Luke Cornett. But anyway, Fred Van Vliet, man, I love you. But if we give the max to Red Fan Fleet. That is the most Knicks move of all time. Jeff, could you help me? Like, just help me here. Yeah, you know what? It's funny, man. Like, I'm I'm not that against John here. Like, I had, um, you know, we did the Hoops Addicts pod uh, last night, and, and we had Macri and, and Chris Persiani, who does a lot of great stuff at Sports Illustrated. And um, 
you know, that we talked about that all in, what does all in look like for the Knicks? That's kind of what was the big discussion. And, you know, originally, I know uh, John had written in one of his newsletters that, you know, if, if we could get him for 12, 12 to 15 a year for, you know, who knows, four years, maybe that's somewhat decent, but that price has gone up, um, you know, prior to, to our stoppage of play right now, like he's playing very well. Um, there are some people who feel, you know, he's a system player, but, uh, you know, Van Vliet, Van Vliet, listen, he's a very good player. I, I like him. Um, I actually like the fit of him on the team. Uh, he's a guy that can play off ball. He's not, you know, he, he's a decent playmaker, a good defender. And, and right now the Knicks can use about as many good defenders as they can. That's for sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I'm a little wary of, of giving a, a big contract to somebody, um, you know, like Van Vliet, that is not necessarily a dominant scorer or dominant big man rim protector. Um, you know, one of those kind of archetypes and essentially having him uh, take up a, a sizable portion of our of our salary cap. I think that's the only issue I have. I, mean, I like Van Vliet, the player. I, I think he's... I think he's probably a good locker room guy. I think he's a leader. He's been outspoken on social justice issues. Like, I, I like the guy. Yeah, I hear. So I get you with the whole, you know, the contract situation, wanting the, the fit with the team. Um, you know, I think for, for me, I, I'm, I'm okay with, like, throwing him, like, close to 19, 20 million, which is going to be, like, the – kind of like the I guess the range now especially if we go back to like some of the previous writings like what Alex Wolf wrote back um I think when you go with the Fred Van Vliet he's going to be good in the sense of like he'll help as you already mentioned like create that locker room help create that winning culture and you got to start somewhere you got to create some you got to get some player into the building that's going to like raise the level of just like competition I think Fred Van Vliet is definitely that guy who could do it. Is he like your number one, number two option? Absolutely not. Uh, and that's the thing that I think as fans, that's what's a little weary when you start throwing, you know, that type of money for a guard, a combo guard. He's not even a true point guard. He's, he's truly a combo guard. And when you start throwing money around like that, you start to limit your cap and who else you can bring onto the team. But I guess my question for you is you mentioned uh, a system player. I don't really think he's a system player. Do you guys think he's a system player? Because I, I think for him, because being able to make step back threes, being able to attack the lane, I wouldn't say he's a system player. I would say that he's more uh, a good cog and a good system. And that's what the Raptors are. You know, when you have Pascal Siakam, when you have uh, Kyle Lowry, even uh, Marcus Saul, any one of those guys who's able to create a bucket or create some sort of floor spacing at this point, even Serge Ibaka, right? And you have um, OG Ananobi who's starting to pick up his level of game. He's able to do whatever he wants to do on the court. So I believe that in Fred VanVleet now, and that's where like my concern is with the Knicks. We don't have that. So if he came to this team, it's, that's the big concern. Um, but at the same time, I think he would help elevate the team. So what do you guys think about that though? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to put words in Jeff's mouth like about the system of VanVleet, but I don't think he's saying he's like a system quarterback where he won't succeed anywhere else. And he needs, you know, those pieces. But I think it's really, as you mentioned, He's not going to be the first or second option. And you're going to max out 
and you're looking for, when you max out a contract looking for a superstar. So I, I don't know. I also I think it's really full circle where the Knicks just don't have a point guard. We've never had a we I can't remember the last point guard we've had, right? That like actually ran the team. So when you watch a couple games here and there, or you watch the playoffs, or you watch the last postseason and you see a guard who could like do something, you know, like run the team or run pick and rolls or like could like go over a screen on defense without it being like a huge deal and we have to like cut it up and watch it nine times and praise the guy. You know what I mean? It's just like a normal occurrence. We then were like, okay, Van Fleet, here's a max contract. Like, and then what? So we almost are not going to put Van Fleet in a position to succeed, in my opinion. We, we need a true uh, superstar, like alpha point guard, man. And I know that's not like necessarily what we're going to get out of a draft, but we just don't have the spicy P. We don't have the Ibaka. And honestly, like, they're NBA champs now. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that means something. Like, what they went through last year means something. We kind of looks like throw it away in the bucket because Kawhi was there. But, like, look at them. You know what I mean? If it wasn't for the stoppage right now, like, we'd be talking about how, like, how they're going to probably take on the Celtics. So, I don't know. I just I just feel like I like Van Fleet. I, I def, I'm definitely a Van Fleet fan. I, I love them in Wichita State. I think he would be fine on the Knicks. I don't think it's going to be good for him or the Knicks to max out this guy. And honestly, I think we'd be do better with a short-term guy like a CP3. Like you were like, – we were kind of talking about, you know, that kind of more fits the team. And honestly, like CP3 is the system. And I, I think like that's where we're getting convoluted. Like that's where I kind of want a CP3 or, you know, another veteran that can come in and we kind of surround him. We kind of mold to him instead of Van Fleet coming and like, okay, what do you got, man? You know, what, what can you do here? Like Chris Paul's going to come in and demand something. And like, we need that. No, I totally agree. Um, I mean, wow. <laughs> calling you your co-host i work with both of you guys so much now <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, yeah man it's interesting like i think it's it's just weird because we're i think we're all as fans still trying to figure out what direction leon rose is going to go in like i i just everything you keep reading um makes me feel like they want to be a little bit more competitive sooner rather than later which is why I guess I kind of see why they want to go after Van Bleet. Um, but then you also read reports that they're not going to be trading draft picks um, with 2021 coming up, which honestly might really spell the end of any CP3 conversation because the Thunder, I mean, they got a whole war chest of picks over there and they're, they're definitely going to want us to give them more in order to get him. Um, but I, it's, it's just, a, I don't know. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough way to call it. But the, but the funny thing about Van Vliet though, is that I really wonder in terms of like his effectiveness on winning, how much he stacks up against other guys that are going to get some big money this summer. Like Brandon Ingram really finally blossomed into that score that everyone wants him to be right. Like, and I, I know he's not coming to the Knicks, but like maybe, you know, the Pelicans have a way better team than we do, but maybe with a guy like Mitch, um, who is such a defensive anchor, that's, that's good. But I honestly wonder who has more of an effect on winning, a guy like Brandon Ingram or, or Van Vliet, because Van, Van Vliet, like, 
there's there's a certain class of point guard like a Kyle Lowry that is that is out there that is not necessarily going to get um perennial all-star nods you know Lowry does have them but they're not always going to be at the tip of your tongue in terms of okay this guy's a surefire all-star um but they're going to do a lot of things that lead to winning and Van Vliet honestly like he might be one of those guys you know like so I I really do see the conversation at the end of the day if I'm GM I'm just where the Knicks are right now I'm probably not doing it but you know um as Knicks fans like the other thing we have to consider too is like I feel like we we do this a lot where we're like we start talking ourselves out of players and like really good players too like I remember like Alex is laughing like I dude this whole Ben Simmons conversation that people were like oh my god Ben Simmons is trash I'm like oh my god Ben Simmons is one of the best point guards in the league and we we should literally bow down to his feet if he <laughs> He ever decided to come to Madison Square Garden and play for the Knicks. But we do that as Knicks fans. We're like, no, nah, you know what? I don't really like this guy. Like, you know, he only shoots, you know, 38% from three instead of 42. Like, Jeff, you know, our shit don't stink here. All right. Yeah. yeah that's, that's really the mantra. But I, I want to actually point on to like, you actually, I think you, you, you got to the crux of the issue with Van Vliet is that this offseason is, um, we, we, there's not really a lot of free agents that are like big, like key halls. It's next, next summer, right? We yeah. won. So Fred Van Vliet, his contract might just be a higher price because of the talent that's in there. You yes. know? So it, we may just be overpaying for a guard that, you know, who I think he does, if we're going to compare him to Brandon Ingram, I think he does it a little bit, a, a little bit, but I think it's more like the intangibles that you don't see, whether it's becoming yeah culture uh just understanding what it's like to to run a team being on a successful team uh bi has never been on a successful team whether it was with the lakers or even the pelicans so i think fred van vliet has a little notch over there i bi is just highly though there's no there's no comparison like offensively though but i think the intangible that you can't measure if he brought that to the knicks it's totally different than bi um and just understanding like postseason like mantra and like what it mean what it means to be serious and like what crunch time minutes are and being clutch he he knows it and he's been on the biggest stage um why would he come here who fred van vliet why would he like that's what like that's why he'll get like like we, we he's not gonna he's not good for us and we're not good for him like what's gonna make this guy like literally go to a contract room sit with his agent and be like yes like i want to sign the max with the knicks and like that's gonna we're gonna win games now if i'm taking up like a max contract then we have like nothing else here like you know what i'm saying like what are we doing like and, and i agree with you like we all like ben simmons come here like no nah, no nah, we're good to go like but also him like that's a trade like he doesn't really have a choice there but yeah. like bam vliet like why like he has he has the ability to sign a max contract with the raptors Right. And potentially make more money because he was drafted there. Right. That get that one twenty percent. And he has Nick Nurse and he has a real team in that quote unquote system. Like why why is he gonna wake up tomorrow morning and be like, Yeah, like let's start this whole new project with the Knicks, make less money and probably lose? Like that's why that's what I hate. <laughs> I mean, we've seen players make that decision before in all sports. So as long, if you throw them a bag that they can't refuse, everyone has a price. Uh, you just throw them a bag that they can't refuse. And I think that's the big, that's the scary part. It's that once we start getting north of like 
19, 20 million, you know, I'm out. Because, it's money. Oh God. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I, I think we're <laughs> Jeff, just so you know, this is John's uh, relationship advice. Why do, why do people want to come here? Why do they want us? Uh, why, why do you want to date me? <laughs> date the Knicks. Could you tell Jeff, why would you want to date the Knicks? Please sell, sell me right. Sell Fred Van Fleet right now, right? You have him. He's in the room. You max like, tell him why he should come here. Honestly, man, I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. I'm going to steal this from uh, Percy Einan and Macri. The only way he wants to come to New York is if, um, you know, Percy Einan was talking about uh, Puma being really big right now and Clyde Frazier, and we just saw LaMelo Ball uh, sign a deal with them. Um, you know, Chris Brickley is a, is a you know, an NBA guy that, that works out other stars. He's, he's big with Puma right now. I don't know if, if he – I think he's a shoe-free agent. I think that's what they were also saying on the pod. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, if that's a, a, a thing for him, and not to say that he can't get a Puma deal in Toronto, but um, honestly, like Van Vliet would just have to really want that challenge. Like New York is great, but I don't know – I mean, we've, we've seen stars pass us up before, so I don't know that um, – People are coming here, especially if they have like a family necessarily to just to just come and enjoy New York. So, you know, he would really have to want the challenge. He would want to have to be like, you know what? I, th- I think from his mind, he would have to want to be like, you know what? I actually am one of the best point guards in the league. And maybe with people can't see it because I'm next to Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam and whoever. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to the biggest stage. I'm going to make this kid R.J. Barrett better. I'm going to make everybody better around me. And if New York sniffs 40 games next year, I'm going to be the fucking man. That's pretty much what, what honestly I think would be the only sell job. And I don't even know if I would buy that. But, like, if he does, that's, that's what I would see it. Right. That's fair. I'll take that. Uh, so before we uh, move off the Fred Van Vliet topic, because uh, I, ta- I heard you talking about this with Chip, Chris and Macri on your podcast about it being a tradable contract. You know, if we got some dude for like 19, 20, you know, I look at it and I can see it being a tradable contract. I can also see it not being a tradable contract. And the way I see it not being a tradable contract is if this dude comes to New York and it shows that he is truly a third or fourth option dude, you see him getting, you see him playing like a third or fourth option dude. And then we just don't want him. And the guy who I look at right now, is Julius Randle, a third, fourth option dude. We paid 18. And now, you know, the question is like, who wants to take that guy? And, you know, sure. You want a combo guard. Guards are flashy. Guards, you know, guard play is like very needed in this league. But if he shows that he's on a hefty contract and, you know, you're telling me that some team like, I don't know, the Jazz or the Lakers who are going to have money tied up, you know, and other players, you know, if they pay Donovan Mitchell and they got to pay Rudy Gobert out in Utah, you think they're going to bring in a third dude who's going to just add to it and then reduce how you like are able to fill out that roster. And with the Lakers, like they're already going to be top heavy with, if they keep with LeBron and keeping trying to keep Anthony Davis, which they will, you know, the question is, will he like, like exit out his contract this year and try to get the bag. But, you know, when I look at teams like that, I don't see how tradable it is unless the teams are like on the cuffs of like, making I don't see like an ace seated team like asking for that trade like a team that wants to make that trade has to know they have a really good shot either then or within the next few years 
of using Van Vliet to make a deep run in the postseason. And that's where I think, like, that's the other concern is I don't really think it's, it is tradable, but it's also not tradable at the same time. Yeah, I can, uh, I can definitely see that. I, the only player that I, I think of in the top of my head right now that I know uh, had a pretty big contract and, and uh, the 76ers had traded for him. And then I think they maxed him this past offseason was Tobias Harris. Uh, obviously, very different players. You know, Tobias Harris is a, is a big wing and forward, a little bit more versatile. But, you know, Van Vliet is also a good defender. So, I mean, it depends. But I see what you're saying, man. Like, you know, based on his skill set, and if he's not that great, the market for him could be really small. That's my concern. Um, I think I think I'd probably more on the side that he's still tradable, but there is that aspect that where he can't be tradable, and it just shows. It, it all depends on like how he performs in New York. If we did throw him that type of money, um, right. and this is why you know John is the Fred VanVleet killer over here. He's just like no, 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 no. <laughs> not that man again i love van flea i just you know i just don't see it happening and i really hate i hate uh i guess like taking running with the narrative of every single good player every single free agent every single good anything that comes around gets tied to the knicks and then once we don't get him it's a problem or once he does well it's an issue like it just that all that stuff like really gets to me like just leave us alone with our eighth pick with all, we, we can never do well in the lottery. Just, like, leave us alone. You know what I mean? You don't have to tie Giannis to us four and a half years before he becomes a free agent and then get mad at us when he, you know, doesn't sign with us. It just or, us. or we did that right now with a draft pick in LaMelo, who we're not even sure we're going to draft, right? So, and speaking about our draft, let's now transition into talking about the eighth pick. So, lottery didn't necessarily turn out the way that most fans wanted. Um, we got the eighth pick. Uh you know, before we dive into like who prospects are, guys, what were your reactions before I get to my, before I get to mine? Uh, man, I mean, uh, dude, it was weird because I had just come home from playing like 36 holes of golf. I was so tired. I bought some Greek food for uh, my family. I just shoved the salad down and just literally got in time to see us fall to eight and was just sitting there like, ah, fuck, you know, like whatever. <laughs> I'm texting with Chip on the side and, and, you know, we had a reaction pod that we were going to do after that. And I was just like tired, sunburned, hungry. And I was just like, but you know what? This is what would happen to us. I kind of just, that's how I felt. Been dropping since 85. Yeah. I mean, uh, Alex was pessimistic going into it. I was kind of looking at it as we had a 40% chance of getting seven and eight and a 40% chance of being top four. So, you know, it was that, that for me was kind of like a coin flip. Everyone was, you know, Alex and honestly, my brother, like super pessimistic, like, you know, as usual. Being we're realists, John, we're realists. Get it. Turned out to be right. And they turned out to be right. But I don't think it's the end of the world. Like I was feeling I could relate to you. I mean, me and Alex were also going back and forth as soon as it happened. Just like miserable. Um, but I don't think it's the end of the world. Do you guys think it's, it's as great? You know, it's still a top 10 pick in a draft where we honestly – have no idea what's going on like there was no conference tournaments no march madness no no anything yeah um i mean my reaction was that you know i always hope for the best for the knicks even though i can be as john says pessimistic and if you want to hear more pessimism pessimism just listen to our uh jets pod 
anyway, uh, you know, when I saw it, I was like, you know what? It's like in this year, it's just like, I'll take the eight. Like, Lamelo Ball is not a sure thing. Like, he's the bet. He's him, Aunt Edwards, and Killian Wiseman. All those guys are like touted as like the top guys. Um, but they all have their flaws. They're all not sure like what they're going to transpire into. It's not like getting into Zion or Ja or, you know, even like RJ. RJ would be number one this year if he was in this draft. Um, so, for me, I was like eighth, and there's actually guys who I like in the eighth, like around the eighth, like Kira Lewis is like my top guy right now. Um, I'm going to be promoting and blasting him uh, until someone else probably comes up in uh, trends, but it's probably going to be that guy. Um, but yeah, so now that we got the eighth pick settled. and are gone. So before you get into it, do you think all those people you just named are definitely going to get picked in the top seven? Do you guys both think that? Uh, I think the question mark would probably be, Killian for me, but definitely Edwards, Lamelo, uh, those guys, and Wiseman are all going to be gone. Also agree with that. Uh, Killian will be the only question mark, but uh, I think he'll be gone by eight. Okay, that's what I thought too. Okay. I mean, you got the Pistons who are ahead of us that also need a guard, and the the the, the turn of events that the other team that needs a guard lands one step higher above us. But let's get into the crux of this episode why we brought jeff on here with his expertise in the draft so jeff who are your top three guys for the knicks around the eighth pick who would you like to see them take or like realistically that you think they could take around that spot um i kind of think i know your guy will be topping uh i think he actually could fall that far do you think he can fall that far and like how do you feel if the knicks like go there and after that will be question please just go into the the top three yeah, so I um to to handle the Obi thing first, I think he goes at five to Cleveland. Um on the Hoops Addicts pod, you know, Chip and I had a, a writer for Forbes, um, and he does some locked on Cavs stuff and, and he's credentialed there, so he's he's as plugged in as anyone. Um he, you know, kind of confirmed what there were some internet reports that people in the front office are enamored with with Obi over at Cleveland. Um I think he's top five talent, you know, so I personally expect Obi to be gone. If he wasn't and he was available um, within, when the Knicks select eighth, I would have him as my second guy right behind someone you already mentioned, uh, Alex, uh, Kira Lewis Jr. Man, uh, do I love this dude. Yo, he is so exciting to watch. Um, when they say speed kills, you know, that – phrase was literally made for Kira Lewis Jr. Average 18, five and four this season. The kid is ridiculously young. He actually went to college early, uh, shot 45% from the field, six, three with a six, six wings, wingspan, um, 80% from the line, you know, his three point shooting wasn't like anything crazy, but, um, you know, per synergy, he was 87th percentile catch and shoot 82nd percentile jumpers off the dribble. The defense isn't horrible. That's what you like with a guard, right? Especially a young one like that. He clearly has to put on some muscle and some weight, but he was a decent help defender, um, you know, relatively okay at keeping people in front of him. But, you know, he's shifty and he's got speed. And when you're a guard, I feel like those two things are, are really invaluable. The fact that you have someone that can shoot off the dribble and from the standstill, he's not like an amazing playmaker, but when he gets into the teeth, defense and especially on the baseline he's somebody that can whip passes out to open guys so he's not 
he's not your prototypical point guard, but in today's NBA, I, I feel like we see a lot of scoring point guards that do really well. RJ is a guy that I feel like fits relatively well next to him too, as a secondary creator. Um, man, I, I, I really like this guy a lot. And honestly, the fact that he's so young makes me even higher on him. Um, just cause I just see him getting exponentially better with the physical tools that he already has. Um, you're speaking, you're speaking like love language to me right now. Like Kira Lewis is like the guy who I want, as he's already pointed out, speed kills. Um, the shooting is good. I mean, his frame is like the concern and the fact that he's like, okay, like that you're mentioning on defense, you know, at the guard position, like it's rare, it's very rare for a guy, uh, a guard, especially like a point guard to be like your elite lockdown defender to begin with. Yeah. We look at like, and it was, even if we go like from average to, you know, elite, like DJ Augustine, He's okay. Uh, Steph Curry, he can hold his own a little bit. Uh, Kyrie Irving, same thing. D'Angelo Russell, same thing. Um, I like Kara Lewis. I think in a Tibbs system, he'll like flourish with that speed. Uh, Tibbs loves using guys who have speed. Just I just remember D Rose, even like when he had Nate Robinson for that uh, short stint. Um, guys that he who who can not only penetrate on offense but can enter the passing lane too. And that's one thing that I've seen from his highlights. Uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely Carol Lewis is, uh, I, I'm just like fascinated with him, just like on all aspects. Uh, I've been trying to get John in on this too. <laughs> I, 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 he was one of those guys uh, that made you excited for those weird teams, you know, in, in the conference tournaments and madness, like you'd want to put Bama on so you could watch him. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what that was going to turn into. And he's one of the people that suffered a little bit from not having um, that national spotlight. Um, he, I mean, he made, he made, he made the first team SEC. He, he's fine. I think he's going to be good. He just, um, I don't think he's going to be good. I don't think he's going to be bad. I just think for me, I just can't see us getting past Tyrese Maxey. I just, I think if Maxey's there, I just don't see us going past it because we're basically Kentucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that, I think that, they just, you know, they just scouted him, you know, they just got him. So as I was kind of mentioning before with these guys like Kevin Knox and Randall and Maxie, who's going to be sitting right there, we're, we're going to either, it's going to be telling if we pass on him or if we take him, right? If we pass on Maxie at eight, and we know everything there is to know about this guy. You know what I mean? I, I feel like it'd be telling. And I just, I kind of feel that we're sitting at eight. If, you know, one of our two of our guys isn't there, I just, we're such a home, like we're such a homer squad. It feels like right now the front office and the coaches, and especially because we have, we'll get into it, but we have, you know, three two picks in the first round. I feel like it's just so easy for them to go into maxi pick. I'm I'm good with uh, with Kira Lewis. He's fine. I'm, it doesn't like super excite me. I was like really excited, of course, for like the top guys, but I I'm also really excited about Obi too, and he kind of just is more of like a playmaker, which I know we'll get into. Um, yeah, I mean. I think John just believes that we're just strictly Kentucky and CAA at this point. So, yeah, we are, we are, we are literally CAA Kentucky. <laughs> we are. Jeff, who's your who's your second uh, option for uh, for the eighth pick though? Because I know Obi Obi might not be there. Kara is like your first one. So who's the second one? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of rumors have already connected Devin Vassell, uh, really young forward out of Florida State. Uh, the best way I can describe this pick, it honestly connects a lot with Kevin Knox. So back in 2018, 
the Knicks took um, kind of the, the flashy sports car instead of the Honda Civic. You know, they went with Kevin Knox over Macau Bridges. Bridges was an older prospect, but a really efficient shooter, long defender. Um, you know, a lot of people liked him. But we, you know, we were in the lottery and we wanted to go with the, the, the player that had the highest potential, you know, the wingspan, the height, the athletic tools. Um, so I feel like, and, you know, Mikael Bridges and Devin Vassell are different players. Like, uh, Bridges was a better shooter. He was also older. Um, but Vassell is like almost like a mix of both, which is why I like him. Uh, he shot 41% from three this year. His synergy profile is ridiculous. 95th percentile points per points per possession in transition, 94th percentile in the half court. Um, effective mid to low usage players are extremely valuable, and especially when they're wings and they can guard multiple uh, positions. I think he fits great with Barrett. The thing that I really just love about the kid is like his motor. It's it's really like he blows up plays. I feel like I repeat myself a lot when I talk about him, but he's he's active, man. He's He's athletic, um, and I feel like he just makes other people feel uncomfortable. Um, and I just think he's he's a contributor day one. You know, his shot is actually it's good, but I'm interested to see how it will work out in the NBA. It's it's kind of like he, when he has his his shot set, it's like over his head. Um, it almost looks like kind of like Zach Levine mechanics. And there were some people who said that he struggled when he came into the league, but um, you know, I think he's from all the reports, they say he's a good kid. So uh, I would be he, you know, some people say he's a safe pick. I think he's a nice marriage between a, a kid that you can expect some potential from and maybe a higher ceiling down the line and someone that can help you right now. That's awesome. I like the motor part about the uh, cell. Um, we definitely need more of those guys, especially when it comes to like the defensive side. We weren't that great defensively. Um, but he also provides that three. He's, he is your prototypical three and D guy. Uh, that's what I like. How do you see him fitting with the Knicks though? Do you see him like, do you see him like being in a starting lineup at that point? If like we take that type of pick, you're saying it's a safe pick. So where, what do you see that transitioning to with the Knicks? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, there's been some people that have floated the idea of switching RJ up from a two to a three. Um, I think Vassell can play either one of those positions. Uh, you can play him off the bench if you want to start him off slow. I, I just think with his skill set, the type of 3 and D guy, he's not going to command the ball a lot. Uh, we obviously don't have a ball-dominant point guard yet. Um, and who knows when, when that will come, whether it's free agency or the draft. But I, I think he fits any roster, man. I, I just feel like you can't have enough guys like – Devin Vassell, um, and I just, you know, I think he'll be good. It's The question is all going to be about his ceiling. You know, is, does he become like an Otto Porter, Kelly Oubre type, um, you know, guys that, that, can, that can get some money in this league based on their skill set? Um, does he flame out? You know, like who knows? But I think um, I'd be willing to take the chance on him. I, I really like what I see when I watch games of him. Okay. I mean, I think – I mean, I haven't, I see, I've only seen a little footage of him, to be honest. Um, I, you, I think you just described it perfectly. Like he can either be starting in the rotation at the two or the three coming in off the bench. He would be like a, a solid marriage. I like, I guess I like the, the aspect of just like needing three and D guys and guys that can just like run off to the side that don't need the ball in their hand. You know, we didn't really have a guy who could just like go mark up and just like 
work off of picks? Does he work well off of picks? Like, is he a type of guy that can like use a pick and just like get open shots? Is he good off the dribble? Like, would catch? Yeah, like, I, his off the dribble game is like sometimes it looks a little uncomfortable when he when he gets um gets into his shot. You know, it doesn't look like super smooth. But Florida State, like they were a, they were tough to watch offensively at times. Like they they definitely ran a lot of screens, but like they were just a great defensive team and like. Devin Vassell is one of those guys that, like, when chaos happens, like, he'll kind of make something of it. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't run a very smooth offense in the games that I've seen, but he still found a way to make an impact. And uh, that was a very good defensive team. He was probably the, the head of the snake in terms of their their defensive um, scheme there. And, uh, you know, he, he – the he doesn't he's he's got his flaws he's not 100 percent foolproof but i think with his youth and what he already brings to the table you kind of hope that you know this coaching staff now that's gotten some decent press and reviews for being player development centered you hope that they can bring the best out of him uh definitely true and john it looks like you're in agreement with what uh jeff was saying off of working off the dribble and helping with uh just with like just with more um of the Great. He he really reminded me of that like three and D, but more of the opposite of Kevin Knox, where Knox was the like the three and D guy, but he was more of the shooter, and we wanted to get him to be a defender. And Vassell is more of a defender, and you re- he's more of a defender, and like you're gonna have to really work at his shot. And he's kind of like the same trajectory. Uh, I thought it was interesting that you that you like are saying that it's such a perfect marriage, and I could definitely see that on the face. Because uh, he is a defender and he is really scrappy. Like when you watch Florida State, that, that's what they do. They just scrap. Like they don't. They don't like run a nice offense. They don't. There's no like guard that he's gonna give it to, and he's gonna run the show. Like you just scrap. And he and he would always come out of the ball or be on the ground, like you said. So that's cool. And he's definitely something that we can use. But the perfect marriage, though, I'm going to throw it up to you guys. you think he could fit with, like, a R.J. Barrett and a Kevin Knox, like, on the floor? Or he'd have to be, like, separate from them? I don't think um, – I don't know that him and Knox would be starting on the court together. Um, that's a really good question, actually. I don't know. Um, I, I guess we're, we're going to see very early on, depending on who they draft, how much this team really wants to develop Knox or not. I think, you know, like, uh, you know, the beginning of the last season, he shot well. It seemed like Fizz kind of had like uh, somewhat of a plan for him. He was coming off the bench, but he was taking either his, he was getting his shots either at the three-point line or at the rim. People kind of started to feel good about him. If Then it fell off the rails. So I don't know what the plan is going to be for Knox. A lot of people feel like the four is his best position to utilize what he can do. Um, and, you know, Vassell uh, is obviously smaller than Knox. So, I mean, I think they can interchange, but I don't know that you'll see them on the court a hundred percent together a lot, but um, that definitely remains to be seen. I, I can, I can kind of get with that. I think he'd fit well with RJ Barrett. I don't think Knox is ready to be in a starting lineup at all, to be honest. And if he did play with Knox coming off the bench, then I think you put, uh, Vassell at the two at that point, although it'd be confusing because if you we don't know what the team wants to do with Damian Dotson, so then maybe you put Vassell at the three and then Knox would have to be at the four 
Um, and I don't know if Knox is actually ready to be the four yet. A lot of a lot of Knox is just like up in the air, theoretical right now. We're for a lot out of Knox, and we hope that uh, KP can get Knox to be uh, that guy. <laughs> well, no, we'll, we'll uh, I'm 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 confident that we'll you know do the best by him and the best by the team because we kind of have both interests uh, at hand at this point. <laughs> um, but again, like I, I I see him really occupying Knox's spot. Like I, I can't really see him and Knox on the same even bench or on the same court. I can't even see them on the bench together because then who are you going to take off first? You know what I mean? It's going to depend on the scenario of the game. That's not going to that's not going to work with their flow or the minutes, um, and how honestly NBA players are rotated. But you know, uh, that's true. That's true. But uh, Jeff, let's move on to your third your third option for the eighth pick. Who well, do you- this is my probably my favorite one. Um, Kira Lewis is obviously my, my top one, but this is the one I'm, I'm most excited to talk about because it's a little bit of a wild card. He'll definitely be available at eight, but you would have to possess quite the set of cojones to take this guy at eight. Um, a guy that I did some research on, I'm telling you, man, I'm interested to see how he plays on the NBA. Six foot one guard, 160 pounds from Stanford University, Tyrell Terry. Oh, I get, I get, you know what? I was actually reading that piece today, too. Uh, <laughs> I had to refresh myself on that one. Please tell me more about him, because I think the shooting is what you were really uh, focusing on, and you're like, you're, you're positive. Yeah, so it's interesting because his, again, he only played one year, right? He's leaving after his freshman year. Um, so he averaged 14 points a game, uh, four and a half rebounds, just over three assists. Shot 44% from the field, 40% from three-point range, just under 90% from the line. Those numbers, they're good, but they're not going to blow you over. Um, But wow, man, like I watch tape of this kid and I'm telling you, there's like, there's something special about him. There's just something there that you're kind of like, he does things that just not everybody can do. And here's to me, the craziest statistic about him, because everyone is going to get on him about his size. He finished 60% of his attempts at the rim, uh, converted them, converted them, right? Converted 60% at the rim, right? So just, just, for, just, just for like um, a point of reference, you know, our bulldog, RJ Barrett, who had a much easier time getting to the rim last year in Duke, than in the NBA, he only finished, he finished 62%. And this kid who's 6'1 and about a third of the size of RJ finished 60% at the rim. So he's, he's smart. He's crafty. He's a really good passer. Um, There was a report that someone spoke on the condition of anonymity that he broke the record for a basketball IQ test. Um, you know, when people were giving out this thing as a person who administers IQ tests for their job, take that with a grain of salt, you know, um, but still, I think it's impressive. And dude, I, I just like the kid a lot. Like the, the things he does on a court that, that lead to winning, I think are big. There's going to be big questions about his size. He turned the ball over a ton last year, which is not good. You did point that out in your piece, but man, I just, you know, there's a lot of lazy comparisons that people will say, oh, Steph Curry, Trey Young, like those guys in college had really large sample sizes and a, and a big volume of shooting and points produced and stuff like that. 
you know, even though Trey Young was there only one year, his usage rate was like huge and they gave him the ball and he did everything. Tyrell Terry is not there, but I, I just, I don't know, man, I have this feeling like he's, he's going to be pretty legit. Um, so he's the third guy that I would have at, uh, at the number eight spot. Wow. Okay. I like what you said about Tyrell Terry and his finishing. Now with his finishing, are you saying, is he, is he just being crafty as he finishes? Is it more like a Kyrie or is he able to use his body for a small frame? Like what is he doing? uses his body well for a small frame like he shields the ball well like he's not crafty in the sense he doesn't have handle like Kyrie okay I just think I'm just I hate to keep going back to like IQ IQ but I just think he picks his spots right like you see him do things on the court and nothing is wasted like I don't there's no wasted motion with this kid like everything he does is for a reason and you know his vision like it's not like LaMelo vision but he just does things uh, listen, of the all the profiles I've written, this was the one kid that continuously when I watch games, I watch the, the tape and I'm like, wow, like, I can't believe he just did that. Like, damn, that looked difficult. Degree of difficulty. Like, I just didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that. Like, that's kind of what I mean with him. And I'm honestly surprised. Not well, there's another thing, too. So I've been reading a lot of Sam. Vesini or Vesini, I don't know how you pronounce his name, for the athletic. And he said of the GMs that he's talked to and scouts out there, because obviously we can't, they can't meet with players. You can't do the combine. You can't work them out. Uh, Tyrell Terry is climbing boards because of his interviews. And they're saying that he's really wowing people with how mature he is and all this. And it fits what I see on the tape, man, because this guy's like a little savant. And I feel like he's going to overcome – the spacing is going to be even better at the NBA level. That's the other thing. So I just feel like he's going to overcome the size disadvantage and, and do some things. I'm not saying he's going to be like perennial all-star, but I just have a feeling like when you look back at this draft, I think he's going to be one of those guys where you're kind of like, damn, like how do we pass on him, you know, even at his size. You, you should be his agent right now because you're so <laughs> – now I got to look more up on this guy. That was like the last, I was reading that today. I read this before and I was, you intrigued me by the way you wrote about him. I think the concern for me is his size at the guard, but even still with the size, like we see small frames, like we look at Trey Young who has a small frame. Steph Curry has a small frame, but those guys are just able to, you know, are still able to produce in this league. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to overlook that. I think, with it, when it comes to someone like this, from what you're telling me, even how smart as he is, it's that it's based on the fit for the team. And do you think the Knicks would be a good fit for this for Tyrell Terry? Probably not. Like I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't make any like statement on whether he would be able to handle New York or not. I don't know what his makeup is like. He seems like he's got a lot of confidence. He seems like. It's not. It's not necessarily the the makeup. Like mentally, I'm just talking about like the fit. Like in like if we're talking about if we're gonna be rolling out Tyro Terry, R.J. Barrett, or whoever oh. with them, do you think he could fit within that type of team? So yeah, I do think he could fit. Um, I think he would fit fine with R.J. Well, the the only thing is this: defensively, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be really tough because he's not. He's not great. Um, he's a smart help defender. And what I love about what I see with him on the tape is when you see rotations, he will get down there and, and box out bigger guys. Like he knows what to do. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to, um, he's not going to mess up because he didn't know where to be on a scheme. Like he understands what to do. It's just physically he's going to get, uh, he's going to get killed, man. Like he, he they're going to, people are going to run him through screens and he's going to get crushed, but he also might really do some magical shit on the other end. So I, you know, it's not a great fit with the Knicks. I also just don't know. I don't, you know, this guy, I think, is going to need at least two years before we're really saying, seeing what he can do. And I don't know that he's going to be able to do that here. Yeah, that's always a concern. And I know that's John's big talking point is, do we have the time and length for these projects? And I can tell you, I don't know. Actually, John, are you tired of projects or where are you at right now? No, I'm not tired of projects. I just, I, I just like to have a plan. I don't like to get a project like Knox and then like a year and a half in, we're like, oh, no, we're all set. And then like now, what do we do? But just to go back, you think, how do you think he compares to Halliburton? I mean, like he seems to have all the same skill sets. I know you mentioned in the article with the shooting. They're comparable. Uh, but like just, I guess, fit and on the court, because I know that Halliburton is more of, you know, mentioned in the media or just – you know, rumored to go to the Knicks rather than uh, the Stanford guards. I, I like Tyrese Halliburton a lot, man. I I have him. Let me see where I have him going. I think I actually have him. Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, what I had tweeted out, I forget what it was last week or something like that. I had the Knicks passing on Halliburton for Kyra, and then I had Halliburton going to Phoenix, which I think would be a fantastic fit for him with Devin Booker. I but I like, I like Halliburton a lot, man. There's a lot of people out there that are going to say, he can't create off the dribble. He's not going to be able to break anyone off. Um, you know, his shot, his his shooting profile was unreal. Like, standstill, I think he was like 99th percentile. Um, I I love his creativity, man. I just, I see him as a, as a playmaker. I don't know that he's your number one point guard, but I like Tyrese Halliburton a lot. Like, him and Terry are really different players. If I had to make a bet on who I think will have – a quicker impact, I think it'll be Halliburton, especially if he – like if Halliburton goes to the Hawks or the Phoenix Suns. That'd be nice. I think he's going to do some serious work there. Um, and he's not, he's not a super athlete, but he's also really – he's crafty too. So like overall as a prospect, I would have Halliburton definitely over Terry. Mm. But Terry's just like my wild card guy. Like Terry – everybody has players that they stand for that they're kind of like, you know what, man? I, I love this kid. And honestly, Terry's mine. Like I think I think very highly of him, but I also realize that like when draft day comes, like he could – he's probably going to get picked within the 15 to 18 range. For sure. And like anyone who just does scouting like yourself, you always have like that one interesting guy that everyone's just like, huh? And like – Terry Terry is like your guy, but I think like going a little off topic for what is a Knicks podcast. If Halliburton goes to the Suns to learn behind Rubio, my God, that that team, especially with Devin Booker, because I don't remember who said it, but he is a connector. <laughs> not yeah. on the, that's not what we have on the. We're not really connecting anybody. He would be great to connect, but who is he connecting to? From who to who? So. For the Knicks, I don't see that being a perfect idea fit. I like him as a guard, though. He's he can shoot, even though it's a little, little funky. Uh, he does. He is like a non-flashy 
playmaker. I liked him. He played very well at at uh, Iowa. So I just don't think he's good with the Knicks. Look, Alex. On that note, do you have a guy that you uh, are also kind of have like as your guy that nobody's talking about that you are excited for? Because I'll tell you mine. I got R.J. Hampton that I've been staring at for a while. And I don't know, man. I, I think that I, 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 to be like full disclosure, I was all about Brandon Jennings also leaving for the year and not going to college and going away. I thought that he was going to pan out as well. And I, I'm hoping that R.J. Hampton is obviously a way different guy, way different player. But I just – it actually worked out for him. He actually had a full season this year. So he actually has more experience than them, which usually is the number one problem. Um, his actual issues are that he can't hit the three. He's 30% from the three. That's his real issue. But, I mean, I know Alex didn't agree with me on the pod, but I know that he secretly does that the mid-range is not dead. And the NBA is all about the mid-range. And, you know, that's where he lives. He lives in the transition and he lives in the mid-range, something where the Knicks have zero of, literally zero. I mean, we have people who will try to shoot threes at least. <laughs> we have people who at least try to dunk it. You know, with Mitch, you know, you know, getting the field goal percentage record. But we have nobody that lives in the mid-range. And every single good NBA team has somebody that eats in the mid-range every single third quarter. Every third quarter, somebody's eating in the mid-range except for on the Knicks. So that's, I guess, my guy that I'm going to bat for. And no matter what team he ends up on, I'm, I'm going to be an R.J. Hampton guy. I was just wondering if you had one of those two outs. Uh, I mean, I'm more on the Kira train. Personally, even when we started, like, even when I went on Jeff's podcast to talk about draft, like, I, I didn't bring him up because I think realistically Cole's probably more of like a top prospect over Kira in that range. Um, but I think with RJ, he, he's a point guard, right? If we're going to like, is he, is he, he's a point guard, right? Like if we're going to, with him, my thing with him is that, is he like truly a good playmaker? Like he's a good shooter. He's good in transition. Not really effective with his body. Uh, shies away from contact. Not at eight. Not at eight. I mean, I don't know. Jeff, you're more well-versed in this than I am on uh, on prospects. How do you feel about RJ? I was just looking at my notes. Um, you know, the speed is there, man. At 6'5", he's got great speed. Uh, he's got good long, good length, good touch. Uh, as John said, the, the mid-range is definitely his bread and butter hit 30% of his threes in Australia. He was a bench player there. Um, you know, I in I think he had two head-to-heads with LaMelo Ball. Uh, definitely bested him in, in, I think, one of the matchups. Uh, the thing I think that entices you about him is, like, he changes speeds really quickly. But I know that people who cover that league, some of the people that are more down on RJ said that the lanes are fairly open in the Australian league and it's not going to be the same in the NBA. Uh, when it comes to his shot, his feet are really close together. So some people don't like the mechanics, but he's got really good patience with his dribble around the rim. I mean, if you, if you draft him, you know, like you, that is a guy that you really better be committed to um, making sure that he's the guy. Uh, because I think that, you know, he's, he's going to need a lot of support and, and he's a young kid. Uh, so, you know, you definitely need to make sure that you got a strong locker room culture, whatever you want to call it, shooters around him to, to highlight him because 
Uh, if you don't, you know, I, I think it could be tough. But he's he's interesting, though, for sure. Okay. I mean, if the Knicks take him and we're going to have another project, man, oh, man. I would be shocked if they take R.J. Hampton. I mean, I, I, it, I would be so surprised if it happened at eight. And I don't think there's – I don't think he could fall to 27, but who knows. There's more chance of us getting us at 27 than anywhere near him at eight. Yeah. So I have to throw that out there. And speaking about 27, let's move on to the 27 pick. So, Jeff, do you have any uh, – who are your picks for the 27 slot? Yeah, uh, I got three guys that I, I absolutely love. I could see them all getting drafted with the exception of my third guy uh, before 27. The first one I'm going to talk about is Jalen Smith. Um, oh, my God, yes, please, for the love of Jesus. You're – you're did you did you just like watch my Twitter go like see who like my favorite players are and just like just absolutely did (laughs) (laughs) yeah man but I'm a a big Jalen Smith fan so like when he was on campus they called him sticks because he was uh he was such a skinny guy 6'10 225 seven foot wingspan shot 36 percent on 87 threes uh nice little tidbit that I really like about him he was struggling early on in the year in Maryland he actually met with a sports psychologist to kind of work on some of the things that he was struggling with. I like that. You know, I like a player that's willing to go different routes, um, you know, to kind of like get to the best version of yourself, make sure that, uh, you know, everything with your mental is correct. Uh, his box plus minus was ranked seventh in the nation. And a big part of that was his defense. He averaged over two blocks a game and he totaled more rebounds than, Players like Onyeko Kangu uh, and Vernon Carey Jr., those are players that are also going to get drafted in the first round. Onyeka, obviously, a lot earlier than him. Um, he's like your – he is your prototypical big forward that can stretch the floor. Some people have criticized his shooting a little bit. I love it. I love the shooting stroke, man. I don't know what other people see, but I see it as a nice compact release. I, I see it as re- repeatable. Uh, people say he's a good kid. I think, dude, I think Jalen Smith is going to be fine in the NBA. And whoever gets him, uh, I think they're getting a, a, a really good player in the future. I like Jalen. Just from like the, the highlights I saw of him playing at Maryland, I like that he can shoot. I like that he's able to get the, to block. I like that he can play in the post. I think his energy, he plays with a lot of energy too. Yeah which I really love. And I just, I could just see him and Mitch just being like the modern, like twin towers, just like blocking things left and right. And that's why I really get excited about him. Um, And especially for the 27th, I I feel like that one is going to be questionable because I feel like another team is like really going to like him and probably take him before we even get the chance. But I would be ecstatic to get, if we like, if you're, if like for some reason we got, Cole Anthony, like, and I'm not like super down on Cole. I'd rather just have Kira. But if we got Cole and then, you know, Smith, I'm going to be hyped for Smith in all honesty, more so. Um, nice. So, John, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, I honestly, I like Jalen Smith too. He remind, he reminded me a little of Markinen, just okay. the way he plays. I know he doesn't like Markinen doesn't really get in like a big boy, like you know, like Jalen does, but. He, I, I just he, – that corner stroke is so valuable in the NBA. Like, if you're watching, like, the Joker just hit that, you know, that corner stroke, 
or if you're watching Brooke Lopez hit that corner stroke or Ibaka, like it makes such a difference when like Steven Adams like has to like, you know, just like hang back because, you know, PJ Tucker just might click that three. You know what I mean? Like that is valuable. And man, like a big man that could do two things on the Knicks, like sign me up. Like, I don't know what to say. Like sign me up. For sure. Um, I think he'd be a, a good fit on the Knicks. What What do you think, Jeff? Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, I would absolutely love him as a floor-spacing big. I wrote this in my article about him. He's like – he's exactly what fans wanted Bobby Portis to be this year. You know what I mean? Like a, a big that can space the floor. Um, the thing is with Smith, Smith's defense is better than Portis's. And uh, I, I, I like him coming off the bench, being a small ball five or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think that, he, you know, the only not, the knock on him is going to be that he's not a super athlete, but whatever. Like, I, I just, I think getting guys like him that are versatile on your team uh, is, is an added bonus for sure. Point of order, I think I play better defense than Bobby Portis. <laughs> <laughs> i argue with you on that. Uh, anyone who's not knocking out was it uh, Contavious ah, KCP on the Lakers in the head for a layup plays defense. Um, but who's your second for uh, the 27th, Jeff? Yeah, so this is a guy that uh, is from TCU. He's somebody that uh, you know, a very popular scout amongst Nick's Twitter, uh, Spencer Perlman. This is probably one of his favorite players in the draft. That's Desmond Bain. Uh, from TCU, like this guy, does, uh, Spencer has gone so far as to call him the best shooter in the draft. Wow. He's at the rim, 44% from three. He can shoot off movement. And like I, from what I'm reading about him, it seems like every coach, front office GM is going to be like salivating at the chance to, de- to draft this guy because he's a high IQ player, good character guy shoots it, defends, he fits into a role, um, you know, athletic, like Desmond Bain is going to be, I think, a name that you hear a lot uh, as the draft gets closer as someone who's moving up. I would love for him to be available at 27. I don't think that'll be the case. Um, But wow, if the Knicks could get a guy like him, like, I think we would – we would have a lot of fun watching him in the garden. Sounds great. Why is it that the two guys that you're like you're really excited for at the 27? Are you telling me there's better guys in the later latter half of the draft, and the, the front half? Like, well, what's going on here? It's interesting. Like, so the next guy I'm going to talk about is I. He's he's up there with Terry for me. Like, he's a guy that I'm I'm telling you. I'll talk about him a little bit later. But I I you know I don't. It's tough for me. Like, everyone keeps saying that this draft is weak. And I just – they're probably right from an all-star talent standpoint, but I do think that there's guys in this draft that are going to do some some pretty good things at the next level. Um, And for the Knicks, all I want them to do is just get talent on this roster. Just want them to get good players. Just put some freaking – put a – Put a product on the floor. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's all I care about. And if you get guys like Desmond Bain, Jalen Smith, um, I think that's the that's the first step. You know, dude, even Iggy from last year. Like, I still have faith in Iggy. Like, okay. like this is a guy that I, you know, he 
I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, I didn't lose faith in that guy. Like he, he's gonna be okay, I think. And I just want to Kenny Wooten. I mean, that's the guy that has talent. You know, Lamar Peters. I know, um, I know, Alex. I know you like him. And I, I, just, I think um, we just got to get some talent on the floor and, and see what shakes out. All of our talent on the Knicks is everywhere else but on the goddamn floor. I don't know why that is, but uh, that, that's just how it works out. I mean, and if you're talking about Iggy, we got John who loves Iggy as well. I just love how shifty Iggy is for his size. He's able to use Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Hello. I caught a couple uh, Westchester Knicks games, and the dude is just a monster. Like, mm-hmm. three-point shot improved throughout that season. Like, I got faith in Iggy, too. Um and yeah, I totally agree. We just need to start drafting guys that we can just put on the floor that are legit, just like ready plug players. Like I'm not expecting them to be like all star. I'm not expecting them to be great, but at least we can use them and see something out of them, like at these picks. Yeah, for those of you who haven't heard of Desmond Bain, um, he's like the prototypical Miami Heat player. Like right now, if you're watching the Miami Heat, like he belongs on that team. Yes. If that's like the kind of person that you're thinking about, like who, where, where, like he is. So like if you're watching the Heat and you're like, wow, I want Duncan Smith on my squad. Or you know, one of these guys or like a Tyler Johnson or a Harrell, any one of these guys, like that's him. And that's what he can provide to the squad. And I think he honestly is going to if he goes to like a top 15, 18 team in the NBA. Yeah. Like, he doesn't go to the Knicks is what I'm trying to say. That he'll be really good. Like a real team that will develop. Like if he doesn't go to Charlotte. Right, if he doesn't get stuck in a Charlotte or like in the, in Washington, or like you know, if he if he goes to like a like a team that ha- like again, like I think Miami, like the perfect is a perfect transition shoot team for him. Uh, I, what do you think about that, Jeff? Do you think well, that- no. which part? Do you think that do you think that uh, Desmond Bain could transition well on the Knicks? Do you think he can be like a good plug and player, or do you think like he will really for him, like a Miami Heat or someone who's gonna be like a top eighteen uh, team? Well, like the Miami Heat are just awesome at developing players. So, like, I, I mean, they they just do a great job with with pretty much everybody. But yeah, I mean, I, I listen. I think Bain would be really good on the Knicks. I think he'd be good a lot of places. Like, I just think he's got skills that every team is going to want that can fit every roster. Um, it's all about his ceiling. Like, I the thing is, even you draft him late in the first round, and if all be if all he becomes is a rotational you know, plus shooter and defender off the bench, like, that's fine. I mean, like, that's a that's a pretty damn valuable player in today's NBA, and I'll, I'll take that. And especially with our record of keeping players on this team and developing them, I think Desmond Bean would have a really high probability of becoming somebody that, that we would have maybe for the long haul, or at least whoever drafts him, um, you know, just based on what I've been reading about. Okay, solid. I can get behind it. I got, you know, I can get behind it. Now I got, these are guys who I also have to look up as well. That's why I love, that's why I'm happy to have you on this podcast. We need people who are, know who know who to look at, at these slots. So Jeff, who's your third for this selection then? Oh man. Like I was saying before, this is the dude right behind Tyrell Terry that I want the Knicks to get so badly. Um, Malachi Flynn from San Diego state. Oh, Wow. He led the nation in win shares, ranked eighth in box plus minus. His analytics pop, shot 37% from three-point range, 85 from the line, 92nd percentile in points per possession in overall offense, 96th 
percentile as a pick and roll ball handler. Like this dude, um, honestly, man, when you watch him on the tape, the thing that stands out to me is his confidence. Like he is like, he looks like a leader of men. He looks like, he looks like he has zero doubt that he is the best player in the court when he steps on the court. Um, I like watching him a lot. He's another guy that Sam Vecini has been high on and has talked about him moving up draft boards. Um, I still think he'll be available uh, at 27 because he's six foot one. Uh, the, def- the defense isn't great. He's also 22 years old. So people are going to say, well, you know, the ceiling isn't that great because he's older. But you know, in a lot of researching for these prospects, things that I've noticed, especially when you look at all NBA rookie teams, even on the first team, listen, not every selection is like an 18 or 19 year old. There's 22, 23, 24 year like Malcolm Brogdon, like there are guys out there. Kendrick Nunn is going to be a guy that is a little bit older. So just because you get a guy that's a little older, it doesn't mean that, that they don't have a great future. I just see Malachi Flynn. He's got that that sweet step back jumper in his arsenal that we see everyone using right now and is very difficult to guard. I'm just telling you, like, the confidence is what gets me with him. And now, listen, there are players that have confidence like Austin Rivers that aren't particularly good, although he, he revived his career with the Rockets for sure. But I don't know, man. I just think Flynn is, is different. Um He's so smart with the ball. He's really savvy. Like, I think this kid, he gets drafted, right? And I think he's going to be an off-the-bench backup point guard. But I don't know, man. I, I feel like there's even a chance he might be a starter one day. Okay. I, now this is someone who, like, I've heard, only heard in passing, and this is someone I would like to take a look at as well. But if we took Malachi, right, then who – then what? Then who are we taking at eight? Because you're saying he's if he's a point guard, then we're not. I would guess that we're not going to take a point guard at eight. Then that we're going a different direction. Is this where we take like a Vassell or we take like a Obi if he's there? Like how is that shaking out? I, I would go. I mean, at eight, honestly, at eight, I'm still trying to get the point guard. Like I, I so Terry. So I, I should have clarified this when I said I have him right behind Terry. Those are just guys that I really love. But in terms of the Knicks, I still want Kira Lewis Jr. Like, I still want his talent. I still want him at his age. I still want his shooting profile, his speed. And then at 27, a Jalen Smith to pair with Kira Lewis Jr. Like, that to me is a crazy draft. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done after that. You can, you can have the 38th pick if you want it. Like, I'm, I'm good after those two. So, at that point, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like. I'm that's personally what I that would be my dream scenario um and Bane you know Bane too I mean Bane would be an amazing pick uh at 27 as well but um you know if the Knicks somehow don't go point guard at eight dude I I, I mean Malachi Flynn is is nothing to sneeze at so then who would you think like if let's let's play uh the game of like hypothetical who are we taking at eight then if we're going with Mal- Malachi Flynn as a point guard at the 20. Wow. Uh, wow. Okay. So if we go Malachi at 27, let me, uh, I got to quickly open this up here. Okay. If we got, if we go Malachi at 20, well, you know what? Okay. I'll give you two names. Vassell is already one that I mentioned, right? 
if the Knicks really want to, I don't think they'll do this, but a guy that I also really like, and it's Vassell's teammate, Patrick Williams. Oh. He's a, he's a forward with a ton of athleticism, and he does things that bigs don't do. Like, he's he's got some good handle. He's a really, really good defender. He's got great tools. Um, that's a kid that you hear a lot of people when you start reading draft articles, people are like, you like his upside. It might be like ridiculous, ridiculous. Like there's, this is a ridiculous comparison, but there's even been some people that have talked about Kawhi-esque qualities about Patrick Williams. Yeah. But you know, listen, the shot is not a hundred percent there. You'll look at the, the mechanics. They look decent, but you know, they're not great, but he just does things that, you're kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know that I've seen this in like a 6'9", 6'10". Like, he's just – he's talented, man. He's just really, really talented. Okay. All right. Uh, let me – just uh, while we're uh, just throwing out hypotheticals, and we kind of touched on Cole Anthony, who is pretty popular, uh, Nick's target. And I guess I'll just throw in – I guess I mentioned earlier with Tyrese Maxey and the Kentucky Knicks. Like, do you see any of those names, like, brushing with the Knicks? How, how do the Knicks feel about those guys? How would they fit on the team? I mean, we can throw in a, a Coro then as well because we saw names for him as well. Yeah, all of those guys with the exception of Maxey, but obviously Mac, Maxey's definitely going to have connections with them. But Coro and Anthony, I've already read that um, – the Knicks have, even before Leon Rose took over, the Knicks have stout, scouted Cole Anthony, like, extensively. Um, I think Cole Anthony will definitely be available at eight when the Knicks pick. I think Ty- Tyrese Maxey will definitely be available when the Knicks pick. I'm not sure about Okoro. I think that Atlanta could be interested in him. Uh, I think they have the sixth pick. I'm not 100%. Yeah, because Detroit has the seventh pick. I think Atlanta will look – even though Coro can't shoot, um, I think with the, the shooters that Atlanta has, they're going to want someone who plays defense and is really tough. And I think Coro could definitely be that guy. Um, I I mean, you know, I don't know. I guess as the more and more I talk, I feel like I'm higher on a lot of guys. And the fact of the matter is drafts don't work out that way. Um, but I think Cole Anthony is going to be better than people think. Uh, you know, I think he had a shitty spacing situation. He was injured. The UNC team was weak. He he has things that are really good for a guard. You know, he can shoot off the movement. He's got a deep three. Um, I think he can break people off the dribble. But, you know, you got to worry about him. He's not the youngest of freshmen. He's already had a serious, I think, leg injury or back injury. I forget what it was. You got to factor that into it. He's got good pedigree. Um, and then who is the other one? Maxi. I'll be honest. Maxi is one of the few guys – that I haven't done a ton of work on, but there are guys that I watch and listen to that are actually a little higher on Maxi than some other people. Um, you know, so I think, I think he would be really interesting as well. Yeah. I know we hit on it before, but I'm just going to say it one more time. I'm just going to throw it out there. I will not be shocked at all. If we have like two or three guys available at eight that we're kind of hitting on that we kind of want like Obi or Halliburton or any of these guys that were kind of like, you know, throwing in the air, even, you know, Lewis. And then we're going to go with Maxi, And it's going to be like, all right, Kentucky. Like, I just have this feeling, man, and especially in the year where we just have no idea 
right? Like we're not going to have the scout. The scouting combine is going to be kind of weird. Like who know? Oh, of course, we didn't get the tape that we wanted. Right. Kenny Payne's in here. I, I don't know. I just I, I, I just kind of want to like throw it out there. I know we're kind of throwing Maxi like away because he didn't really do anything because he didn't have time. He really didn't have time to shine. And I really think that's part of his issue. I just see the Knicks not doing anything that scouts tell them that any, anything that is sort of conventional. Uh, and I guess, I guess that's why I kind of wanted to see how uh, you thought about uh, those guys who are just like, you know, are going to, those people just because they're tied to the Knicks right now will always be tied to the Knicks. So if Cole Anthony does well, Right in two, three years, regardless if the Knicks ever do anything, it's gonna be like, oh, the Knicks scouted him, and look, he did really well. Yeah, so I'm throwing that out there. Yep, you can see that daily news headline right now. But, <laughs> but I think you know, I would be upset if they took Maxi. I would be a little concerned if we took uh, Maxi, and then if we took with the twenty seventh or even later, like Quickie. What's it? Is that his, is that his last name? What's Quick, his last name? Yeah, Emmanuel Quickly, I think, out of Kentucky, right? out of Kentucky quickly. Yeah, if we took quickly and Maxi, then I'm just like, all right, the fix is in. That would be hard nepotism right there. I don't think they'd go that far. <laughs> oh, man. But, all right, that's 27. We got one more pick. The second round was at 38. Yeah. Yeah, so we can uh, we can rattle these ones off. You can give us your, your three names, and I'll give you the option if you want to go into depth in all three of them or if you just want to go into depth of one. Um, let me see. Who's my third here? Oh, okay. All right. So I'm going to give you the three names, but I'll only go into depth in, in one. Um, cause I, to be honest, I'm not, I haven't done nearly as much on these guys as the other, but I do like them. So I'll, I'll go from backwards order. So the, the guy that I would least like for this spot was Elijah Hughes out of Syracuse, 21 year old, average 19 and five, uh, good size, six, seven, when you watch him on the tape, like, he's a slasher. Like, he can definitely cut. Um, he can shoot. You know, the, the percentages are not great. He was kind of like a high-volume shooter, low percentage, which is not a great sign. But when you watch him, he's a professional scorer. Like, he knows how to score the basketball. Tough to evaluate him on D because Syracuse plays the 2-3 zone. So that's going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. 6'5", great wingspan, 6'10". Um, he shot over 500 threes for his career and was 37% on them. His percentage last year was not great. A lot of people think he's going to shoot 40%. Um, and the guy that I would really like at this spot, and I have a feature coming out on him soon, is Cassius Stanley out of Duke. Um, oh, okay. A freshman, a bit of an older freshman. He, I think he just turned – either 22 or 21, he broke Zion Williams's vertical leap record. So he has a 46 and a half inch vertical. My God. When I tell you this dude can jump, it's, it's ridiculous. Like the springs on this cat, like it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and he, he projects to be a nice three and D player with his shot profile. He got most of his shots from the three point line and at the rim. Uh, I think he shot 36 or maybe 34% from three. I think he only averaged about 12 points per game. But I, I the tape that I've seen, man, he's a good catch and shoot. I think he was 93rd percentile for, for synergy. I just think 
when you have an older guy like this, I think the the fear of a limited upside is countered by the fact that his athleticism is of the one percentile. Um, and that's why I, I would love for the Knicks to get their hands on a guy like Cassius Stanley at 38. I think, I think he's, you know, I think he's definitely a bench player, but like a solid rotation player. And what's his position? Guard. He, I think he's six, six, uh, one ninety something like that. Um, and his wingspan isn't that great, but he's he's a typical two guard. Okay, I'd be interested in checking that out with like his athleticism. We can athleticism. There's there's I feel like a few ways you attack this draft, especially when you get to the later rounds. You just take someone with like extreme athleticism, or you take a project and you like the project that you're willing to send down to like the G league, someone like who we did with Iggy, like you're willing to like work on him, develop his game so that he can be a solid uh, role player or just like part of like, maybe even part of the foundation. Right. Or you go someone high with like crazy athleticism and you see what they can do in, uh, in the NBA. You know, I'm the Knicks. We need guys who are athletic this past season. We didn't really have a lot of explosive players and, Sometimes it's just nice to see that, honestly, just like someone just yamming it uh, on an open in, uh, in transition. But it sounds interesting. What makes you, like, what, what attracts you to him? Is it because of his athleticism? Is it because, like, what you hope the Knicks can do with, like, development players like uh, a Kenny Payne or a, a Johnny Bryant? What, what's attracting you to, to him? It's honestly mainly the athleticism. Like, I just think it's so good. It's just so significant um, that I just feel like, you know, if you get guys like that on your roster that can also shoot it a little bit, I'm not saying he's a great shooter. He's not a great defender. He's not really a passer. He can, he can make some good passes here, but I just feel like, you know, and the other thing is too, like a lot, this may, people may be like, Oh, that's such like a small thing, but this is the type of kid that's going to make like momentum changing plays. Like he's going to get the steal and the fast break. He's going to yam it. And the crowd is going to go absolutely insane. And like, yeah, that's a small thing, but it could change a game. And I just feel like, you know, there's, there's going to be enough opportunities for that with, with a guy with his type of like physical profile. Um, you know, he turned the ball over a lot. Uh, you know, he wasn't, didn't get a ton of steals for a guy that is as athletic as him. But I just feel like, you know, you're picking at 38. These guys are, are definitely going to have flaws. You know, if they didn't, they would be much higher. But he's the type of guy, like, I feel like way different comparison. But to me, this is what the Knicks did with Mitchell Robinson, right? Like, this was a guy who's forgotten, you know, McDonald's All-American, leaves Western Kentucky, but is – the freakish of the freakish athletes that you can find the Knicks get him. And all of a sudden, you know, he ends up being a pretty damn good center and, and rim protector. Maybe Cassius Stanley, who knows, can be something like that. And our best player. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And he's our, you know, I think with, uh, so with Stanley, do you see him like if the Knicks did take him, are you saying that they're going to like, what, what is it? What's, what is like their projection with them? Is he going well, to, I think he he actually, like, I mean, he could spend some time in the G League. I don't think that would be terrible. For our 38th pick, 
to spend some time in Westchester, um, you know, work down there a little bit, see some time at the professional level here and there. Uh, I don't, I don't think that would be bad. Um, you know, he, to me, he's, he's a, he's a guy that comes off the bench, maybe your seventh or eighth guy, depending on how he's shooting it, because you can't just leave him on the court for his athleticism alone. He's got to be able to hit open shots. That's going to be the big thing with him. For sure. I can't really say a hundred percent whether it's going to happen or not. I think it's more of one of those things that like over time, I think you'll see, I think he he'll struggle in the beginning, but like he's got enough upside to me that at 38, I'd be like, you know what? Let me take this kid and, and see what we got. Okay. John, you got any questions? No, I'm good with that. I, I, I love the, I love the trust in the front office to to actually bring someone with a 38th pick that we could develop and not need right away. So that's a, that's always the problem with the Knicks, right? We have to bring in someone right away with a number eight pick. That's going to make a difference. We need to bring in someone who with the 27th pick that's going to, you know, be a potential score right off the bench, sixth man. And so I really think where the Knicks organization really strives is with the Iggy's with the Mitchell's, you know, with those guys that we kind of actually let sit, and not expect to uh, contribute right away because they never end up contributing right away. So I kind of like those, uh, like those people, those players that you threw out there. I'm not too familiar with them personally. Um, just on like a scout basis, I've watched them, you know, play like casual, you know, college basketball games. But uh, I guess I have to really uh, dive deep into them specifically and how they would uh, kind of mesh with the squad. So for Stanley, uh, my question for you, Jeff, is who would you say your comp is for him? Like, who do you see in, like, the NBA, him being, like, touching that ceiling? Oh, yeah. Damn, there was somebody I was – when I was researching, who did they kind of compare him to? Um, he's so much more athletic than, like, a Danny Green or someone like that. Um. I do, I do remember there was a couple names that were floating around. You know what's funny? All right, this is not who I would compare to him, but I don't know if you guys remember uh, Grayson Allen, who was also a Duke guy. Yeah. He was, a, he was an athletic kid. Um, and it's funny because the Jazz drafted him and he got traded. I, I don't know if it was this season, but he's on the Grizzlies now. And people are actually starting to feel like he might be a decent player. The Grizzlies have been developing a lot of young guys over there. Maybe, maybe that's kind of a similar comp. Um, Josh but, Jackson, do you think that's like around the lines of like that, or how about Josh Jackson, somewhere along those lines? Or uh, I think, I think he's a better shooter than Jackson. I think Jackson is a is a is a bigger player. Um, you know, I I, I think yeah. I mean. I, I don't know. I, I just I feel like when Jackson was drafted, there was so much more hope for him. And I think when Cassius is going to be drafted, it's kind of going to be accepted as he's going to be accepted as a role player because he sat. He essentially was a role player at Duke. Like he he came out of high school as a thirty second or thirty third top ranked player, um, and he essentially played third fiddle to Trey Jones and Vernon Carey Jr. So the way they had him, like all the tape I watched of him, like Cassius is essentially on the perimeter. Trey Jones is getting the pick. They're hitting, you know, Cassius for a catch and shoot or 
they're hitting him for catch and shoot, and then he's attacking closeouts and then either making plays for somebody else or using his athleticism to try and get to the rim. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I see him because he already played that role in college. That's why I think he can do it at the NBA. And that's why I think he might be able to have some success early on. It's just going to be about can he get that shot going in quick. Okay, for sure. Well, you know, Jeff, thank you for uh, giving us all this insight for uh, the draft prospects. Um, and now we're going to move into our, our next portion of this, which is the et cetera. Um, so, John, what do we got for et cetera? So for et cetera today, it's been a crazy time in our country. And today was the craziest day, second craziest day, I would say, in NBA, NBA history, second to the coronavirus day. <laughs> um, but Milwaukee today decided to boycott slash not show up for the game to stay in their locker room uh, for game five today. And during that time, they actually got on the phone with the lieutenant governor um, for Wisconsin. And they got they got uh, together with all the players and they all unanimous, unanimously decided that they are going to talk about how they will postpone or suspend, suspend the season. And I guess talk about how they'll move, how they'll go moving forward. I know they had a, a statement tonight that the Bucks put out uh, demand have with some demands uh, for justice that they wanted. Um, no details. We're tape. We're taping this uh, Wednesday night right now so it's all real time uh no details really have emerged um about the continuance of the season but i kind of want to get your both of your gut reactions and um kind of where you see this how you see this thing playing out okay jeff do you want to go first if not i can yeah um man uh you know what it's it's crazy because it actually all started for me last night i was watching the end of the clippers game and um, it was a blowout, right? And Doc Rivers does his post-game interview. And listen, man, that was tough to watch. Like, that was really tough to watch. Um, he talked about his father being a cop. Uh, he talked about, you know, loving this country, but feeling like this country doesn't love him. And, you know, you really feel that that emotional pull. Um and then you see today that Milwaukee uh, decides to boycott the games. You know, you totally understand why. And um, I think that was that was kind of like my my gut reaction as as far as what I think is going to happen. I mean, I think the season's over. Hmm. You know, that's kind of where I see. I mean, I I think tomorrow's games are are done for me. Um, and I think as we get closer to this thing, I just see the NBA administration, meaning like silver. And I just saw that there's a board of governors meeting um, completely separate, but apparently MLS canceled games tonight as well. I just see silver and the board of governors. And, and from what I've at least read, it seems like silver has been really, good in terms of having relationships with the players and really trying to make everything work. But I just feel like 
my honest opinion is that I think that the Board of Governors and the administration is going to push as hard as they can to try and figure out how we can have a season. And to me, that's only going to aggravate what's already a really tough situation and, and a very raw emotional situation for a lot of the players. And I think it's just going to get them to the point where they're like, I, we don't want to play. Like we don't want to play when this is going on. We don't want to feel like we're an escape for people when there's a larger message that needs to be heard. If I had, you know, if I had to bet, I think the season's over. I can get right behind you, Jeff. I think the season's going to be over too. You know, police shootings is a serious issue in this country. Um, and the players understand that. I think most of the NBA fans understand that. And I think most of the NBA fans would be in solidarity with the players when it comes to not playing because it's just enough at this point. Um, it's a real issue in this country that needs to be tackled. And as you said, you know, we can't have a distraction taking away from such an important cause. And I would agree that I would agree with you that I think the board is going to try to get these guys to play. And I think what they're hoping for is that they understand that most of these players who are not like a LeBron James, a Giannis Antetokounmpo or Anthony Davis, who aren't making that much money that, they still need to get paid. They still need to make some sort of living because these guys, you know, the joke is like, yes, paycheck to paycheck is much different than like what we are all making to what they're all making. I get that. But at the same time, their, their risk reward is much greater than our risk reward. You know, them going, having to go back to school or them having to go find another job or potentially not being able to play in the NBA. It's, it's a real thing. So I see the, the owners using that to, their advantage it's a very raw moment it's very you know it's very you know it's real and it's these players understand that it's real that's why they boycott it you know you see LeBron James Dwayne Wade uh Donovan Mitchell everyone tweeting out having their their share of opinions and right opinions right you, th this is not as important as someone's life being taken away or even just being like like not like Granted, uh, Jacob didn't die, but he's paralyzed from the waist down. That's 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 no joke. And you know, I I agree with you that I think the season's over at this point. No more distractions. And I think someone uh, someone tweeted it right. I can't. I don't have the uh, the person's name, but sports is like a dessert where it's the reward of a functioning society. And if we're not functioning right, then we don't deserve this dessert. Right. I saw even uh, Kenny Smith. I don't know if you guys saw that. He walked off the set. Yeah, he walked off. John, what do you got? What do you feel? Yeah, so I definitely agree with, you know, you guys' premise. Um, and what happened in Wisconsin was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I really don't agree with your conclusion that the season's going to end. Um, I think that the NBA today really put their money where their mouth is. Right. Like it took a lot for the players to not come out and fulfill their contracts and show up in the game. And they didn't tell anyone. Right. The refs were standing there. Even some of their magic were standing there like nobody had any idea. And they didn't just sit there and like, you know, uh, text back the media while sitting in the locker room. They were getting on the phone with the lieutenant governor. 
So what they're doing is they're, they're making a difference and them being in the bubble and, and doing what they're doing is making a difference. So I think that if they canceled the season, it would actually all be for naught. Like I honestly do. Cause if they just walked away right now, closed it, we ha- didn't have to turn on TNT anymore. We wouldn't be watching Kenny Smith. Or we, you know, we wouldn't be uh, uh, watching NBA TV and watching what they're talking about. You know, watching Chris Webber get into it, uh, and what and listening to the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, talk to the Lieutenant Governor and having a governor's meeting and canceling more games and like really talking about what they want us to be talking about. And it's more than talking, right? I think that if if the NBA players get what they want, which is the justice for this guy who shot another guy to be investigated, not on administrative leave, but investigated in prison. Like the same way that if I were to shoot you, I wouldn't get administrative leave to be investigated. I would like go to jail and be investigated. That's all they want, right? Nobody like wants to jump to conclusions. And so I think that they use this crazy leverage where it's like, yo, I will give up that $20 million that you are talking about. You know what I mean? Like, it's 20 mil on the line. Like, I'm not going to play today. It's the playoffs. That's where all of our revenue is made for next year. Everybody knows that's where the money is made, where the salary cap is made. So I think that if – I think that the NBA, you know, governors could actually move that political, you know, spectrum, you know, that political, you know – Needle or something like that. Yeah, and just – and actually get what they want get what they want done. And I don't, I think if they close the bubble, close Disney, close our televisions, we're just going to move on to the next thing and we're going to completely stop caring. I, I can see what you're saying with that. And I totally see that in the realm of possibilities. Um, I guess with regards to, it's more than just Jacob at this point, it's Breonna Taylor, it's George Floyd. It's, it's a whole Whitney of people that have lost their lives. I don't think it's just for this moment. I think it's for the entire moment, the entire Black Lives Matter movement of just social justice. And I, you know, it depends on one, how far they want to take it. Right. And, you know, I, I could see that aspect where it's like, you know, if you're not watching NBA, which most people are probably doing at this point, they're not probably watching, not watching the news. They're probably watching more basketball than the news. Um, then what are they getting as like, they're fixed, right? They could totally go off and do benching and streaming services. So I totally get that too. But I think, you know, I don't know, man. It's it is very tough to say that they're gonna come back. Like I just think they put the world on notice, man. Like like my my mom is asking about well what happened. But you know, you know what I mean? My my mom has no my mom would not be talking to me about the Milwaukee Bucks versus Orlando Magic game five today, I promise you. But you know, today she was just like, What's happening? What's going on? Yeah, sure. I guess what I'll say is this, that Sam Quinn of CBS, um, he said he had a thread today and he pointed out when, you know, the NBA was the first to do an all-star, like have teams, right? And players weren't getting paid well. They're at a time where they had to have a second job. This was, even though this was their job, they had to have a job during uh, the off season. Um, when they had that first all-star, they had the lever- they used their leverage. They created that they had that union to demand more pay and to not perform. I believe. I believe that's what I believe that's uh, along the lines with the all-star is that they were able to use their leverage and get the owners to listen. Right? Is this a leverage? It can't, it's not going to be one because you can't just do one game and then come back because then the owners are just like, 
it's only one game. I'll, I'll forfeit one game if I'm getting the rest of the season. So that's why I'm saying, like, if you're going to get change, it's not just one game. It's not two games. So how long is this? How long are we getting no games, right? Maybe they go two, three weeks without games and then resume again. Who knows? I don't think that's possible because there has to be a de- there, there is an end date that the season uh, that the NBA has to complete, right? Um, I don't know. Do they? I mean, I thought like people were talking about September first originally, so I could be wrong, and we're going into October, so it could potentially go longer, right? But if you can go without time or just lose games, that's the only way. Like once it starts hitting the owners' pockets, really, then are you going to start seeing real change? And one game is not going to do that. I think the draft, I mean, the draft is in October. So, I, I mean, I know the finals, I forget the exact date, but they're definitely September for sure. Um, but you know what? I'll say this to John's point. I do know that the the appearance of the Black Lives Matter logo on the court, um, the warm-ups, I do know that it's it's been a catalyst for conversations in home whether uncomfortable or not um, with, you know, between family members, friends, uh, I do think that's a positive. So I, I, I hear what John is saying when he's like, well, you know what, you know, we, we still need, um, we still need this to further the conversation. It's tough for me personally to, to have a strong opinion on whether I know what's going to drive this more or not, whether it's, playing or not playing. I just know that like when I'm looking at Doc Rivers and and how he looks when he's talking about this issue with a guy that is not related to him that he doesn't know from Adam. Uh, and then you hear the players and then you see what they're tweeting and you see that these guys are clearly angry. Um, I just think that without time to process those emotions – um, in, in a way that anyone would need when something traumatic happens to them. I think it's, it's just going to be tough, man. I, you know, I, 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 I wish at the end of the day as a sports fan, right? Like I just wish, of course, I wish that there's some magical solution where all of this can be tied nicely together and we can figure out a, 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 something that benefits everyone. It's just, this is not one of those situations. Um, so it's, it's tough, dude. I, you know, I just, uh, whatever they do, you know, support and, and hopefully we can get that change that is visible, uh, you know, from a governmental, you know, standpoint, uh, a justice standpoint where people start feeling good about, you know, the, the situation again. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I just, I guess the point I'm really, really trying to make is if the Milwaukee Bucks we're not in the NBA bubble right now. Like say they just decided to cancel the whole season. Okay. And they just decided, and they just decided today at 4 PM to have a rally in Milwaukee and the whole team showed up and George Hill read a statement. I, who would listen to that? You know what I'm saying? That would, you know, that, that would, that's, that wouldn't stop the world like it did today. So I, I, I just, that's really my, like the, the Milwaukee bucks might've gotten the phone with the Lieutenant governor, maybe, but, the fact that they stopped play at 4 p.m. today and everybody's phone in America went off, you right. know, and even, you know, the Google, you know, CNN, you know what I mean? Or Fox or whatever it is like that went off, not just your ESPN app. Right. Um, and I, I, I think that they don't want to lose that. Or I, I think that's valuable. Like I love, like for me, 
that that was the number one criticism, right? Because right away people got super mad at four oh five, right, and started freaking out. And they were like, "What are they going to do? Is sitting in the locker room? This is not going to do anything. They're going to go back to their hotel room. This is nonsense. It's all for show. It's political. All the stuff." But when we found out, they were literally sitting in there having a conference call with the people that can actually bring them what they want, which is justice for this for this actual person. So I, I don't know. Like I. I uh, I'm I'm with I'm with you guys, and you know I I agree with their goals. I just think that this is a way to further their goals because I don't think that anybody cares about what LeBron James is tweeting unless it's in the playoffs. You know what I'm trying to say? I get what you're saying, and like that's a, that's the that's America. We're focusing more on sports than we will on actually. No, like I, t- I totally hear what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying too. And you know that's. You know, if the players want to continue, obviously, kudos to them. That's what they're – it's their decision, whatever they want to do. Um, It does – it definitely does make – it definitely is amplified when you hear that there's no sports rather than – which is sad because more people probably know more about Jacob now because of players sitting out than the actual incident itself. Exactly. Exactly, and and th- and that's why I'm kind of happy about it. But I guess just on this la- to end this pod and this honestly, I think our best episode yet. Uh, and I would throw that up to Jeff. So thank you for that. Uh, oh, thank you, dude. Um, I guess my question is, do you think that the NFL is going to bow to this? Like, you know, the MLB is canceling some games, right? The NBA is doing their thing. I just had a conversation. I'm telling you, man. It's, to me, the biggest question out there right now because, you know, the NFL, in terms of the image, um, you know, you have at least two of the top four quarterbacks in the league. They're African-American, Patrick Mahomes. Um, why am I blanking on his name for the Ravens? Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Deshaun. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I do believe I forget what commercial it was, but there was one that was ran during the Super Bowl or something like that. Or there was or maybe it was post George Floyd, but there was a social justice commercial with a lot of NFL players on it. And I mean, the relationship between Roger Goodell, the players union and the players is already fraught. Um, but with, we, we just saw it, right? MLB canceled games, MLS canceled their games. I'm telling you right now, man, like there's a lot of strong leadership on the player side, especially some of those young players in the NFL. This happens in the NFL. It's gonna, it's, it's really going to drive some things. And, and I, I hate saying that because it's, it's a money thing because the NFL is so popular. It's such a, it's such a conglomerate. It's such a you know billionaire industry. But I think I think this could absolutely happen if the NFL actually does start playing the games in the fall. One hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. NFL is like probably the biggest like driving factor in this. What they decide to do will really dictate how a lot of things happen. Because even though like I know NASCAR is like the number one sport, but it's the NFL like. People will tune into the NFL. People watch football. That is like – because it's easy to watch, it's easy to pay attention. We're talking six, 16 games once a week. You know what I mean? Like you just tune in Sunday, whatever. But I agree with Jeff. 
100%. Whatever the NFL does, that's really going to be the that, – that will be like uh, the U.S. coming in for like World War II. <laughs> that's, a, that's really the best example analogy that I got. All right, guys. That wraps it up for episode four of the Knicks. Absolutely. But before we head out, Jeff, anything that you got to plug? Um, you know what, man? Not too, too much. I'm just uh, pumped to be writing for, for some new publications, Daily Knicks, Playgrounder. You can find me at Jeff underscore, boy underscore RD, but, uh, no underscore after that. But on Twitter, rambling about the Knicks. I uh, have a Cash and Stanley profile coming out for Daily Knicks, and I'm looking forward to writing with uh, a lot of the talent that they have over there. So, yeah, man, just going to keep, um, you know, doing this draft stuff as, you know, until we get closer to October. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you for being the inaugural guest for our pod. Numero uno, go, breaking down some draft questions. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on. I, I, I can't. I'm, we're just so ecstatic to have you on and being able to talk draft and look for like looking out at prospects for the Knicks. Really a fun time. And uh, yeah, John, anything else for you? No, nah, man, the more Knicks fans, the, the, the better everything is. We'll all be miserable altogether. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, you guys are awesome. I really appreciate you guys having uh, me on. Uh, obviously you guys are welcome on, on my podcast. I'll definitely come back here again if you guys will have me. So absolutely. Please. So- Sure, man. I'm just, uh, you know, happy to be a part of it. Whenever Nick's season starts back up, um, we're, or even before it even starts back up, we'll definitely try to get you back on, man. Talk some more Knicks. Um, hopefully it'll be a positive note. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll talk some Alonzo Trier and just rehash old wounds. <laughs> but that's it, guys. Thank you for listening to the Knicks episode of the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. We'll catch you later. Let's go next.